Welcome to Langstaff Online. My name is Michael Da Silva, and I am your host for episode 64. In this episode, I plan to take on a message entitled, What is the relationship between Israel and the church? This question will be examined through the lens of Romans 9 to 11. What is the relationship between Israel and the church? I think one of the main goals for those of us that teach God's word is to not try to convince others regarding our perspectives, but rather to help nurture a healthy theological and biblical dialogue. That means providing guidelines and an overall framework to establish safe zones where disagreements can occur, as well as establish boundaries and borders to safeguard believers where disagreements should not occur. And obviously, those would be areas that tend to lead to misleading, confusing, bad, or even worse, heretical teaching. Honesty is also a great friend in this regard. Any Bible student that has done the heavy lifting will acknowledge that our own interpretations to difficult subjects, such as this one, rely heavily on a particular theological model. Every theological model fails in providing all the answers to all the questions, and that is why we find devout brothers and sisters throughout the centuries and millenniums, including our present age, that can differ on these important but not critical issues of the faith. They are important because they will affect how we see ourselves through the eyes of God, and in other words, how we reflect ourselves in this life and how we serve the Lord, but they are not critical, some of these subjects, as it relates to the main tenets of the faith, as it relates to our eternal security, or to the promise that we'll be a part of new creation, or that we will be resurrected to glory. I'm very interested with this question as we look at it through the lens of Romans 9, to 11. We are just going through that section in our Bible studies uh, uh, in my home church, and I was actually asked to take this subject on, this question, as it related to Romans 11 specifically. And so I'm going to use this section and reference it a few times as uh, we move through some of the material. First, I would ask why Paul includes these chapters, Romans 9 to 11. You might have to go back and read them. Uh, Why does he include these chapters in the book of Romans at all? What is the function, both literary and theologically, within the book? I would suggest that there is a tension between Christians, Jews, and Gentiles that flows throughout the book. In Galatians, the issue has to do with Jewish Christians trying to make Gentile Christians Jewish and having them be circumcised and follow Torah, etc., Whereas in Romans, we have a Gentile-influenced church. You have a city of Rome that kicked out the Jews, and now the Jews have returned. And it seems like the Gentile believers are the ones showing uh, a pessimistic, negative perspective on the Jewish people at large. Maybe they believe that these Jewish people, their opportunity for salvation is now over because they've rejected the, the Christ. That, that seems to be the style in which Paul is developing his thoughts in the book of Romans. And so how these chapters, Romans 9 to 11, help Paul with his argument towards a united group, Jew and Gentile believers together, 
is one of the questions we must ask. In other words, we cannot use this section of scripture or any of Paul's writings to divide the people of God when his overarching argument in all of his letters is to remove the schisms, remove the, the, the barriers culturally, remove the things that divide people, and in Christ, bring these people together in a unified, healthy community. This is the, the key teaching that Paul delivers in all of his letters. Chapter 9 and 11 is Paul's argument that God can be trusted, that his word is true. After all, if it wasn't true for Israel, then what confidence could we, the church, have today? The relationship between Israel and the church is an important question because our answer to it is it often influences much more of our lives as believers than we would think. Even the way we read the Bible will change with how we think about it. In Romans chapter 9 to 11, the argument really has nothing to do with this relationship. Even though I was asked this question in the Bible study, what is the relationship between Israel and the church? The, 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 the chapters actually rather examine God's dealings with Israel and then how the Gentiles intersect with that story. So I'd like to just make a few general observations about this question as it relates to these chapters. And trust that they will provide some helpful dialogue and discussion. Point number one. The relationship between Israel and the church can only truly be seen through the lens of Jesus, the Messiah. I mentioned in a previous podcast that all unhealthy teaching places an overemphasis on people groups, places, and things instead of on the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the center. Unfortunately, this question doesn't have Jesus directly mentioned, and so oftentimes the answer to this question places an overemphasis on people groups, whether it be on Israel or whether it be on the church. All good teaching should be centered on the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So to answer the question firstly from this perspective, I would say this. Jesus is Israel's Messiah. Full stop. And it is equally true that Jesus is the head of the church. Full stop. In that way, you can't help but see like a child's kindergarten art project. You can't help but see that there is glue there that connects in some way these two vocations. Take two cardboard pieces of paper, blue and red. They are different pieces of paper. They're different colors. But when that child pastes them together with the glue, they become part of something. Something is being built and the glue is what sticks it all together. And so in this way, we can see that Jesus is the center by which Israel had its purpose and the center by which the church today has its purpose as well. Point number two, the church was never called to repurpose Israel. Now, that, that would be my own personal reflection here. I'm not trying to uh, force that on you, but I do believe that the church was never called to repurpose Israel because Israel is the story about a, a people 
who carried the promises of God for the world, and those promises included and were all wrapped around the Messiah himself. But they themselves actually needed that same promise for themselves too. Their solution was the solution for the entire world, and that was the promise of Jesus Christ the Lord. So Israel's vocation, their calling, was to see the promises fulfilled in the Messiah. And the church's vocation today is to live out the new creation that came as a result of the Messiah's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into glory. And so the two vocations are separate, though again, they both have the Messiah as their central emphasis and mission. Number three, as it relates to the promises, Paul clearly taught 2 Corinthians 1 and 20. I'm just going to move to that section just for a second. He writes, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Him is not Messiah, uh, Israel and Him is not church. The promises of God find their yes in Jesus the Messiah. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Promises are always tied to Jesus, even if people become a part of that blessing through their association with him. And we clearly see that in Israel's history, and we see that in the church history as well. Point number four, it is also true that believing Israelites become a part of the church today without losing their ancient identity, as Paul clearly stated. Romans 11 and 1, Paul says, using himself as an example, he says, I myself am an Israelite. He doesn't say, I was an Israelite, nor have I ever read anywhere in 2,000 years of church history that anyone ever thought that Paul wasn't in the church. He was an apostle. He clearly was. But he says here emphatically, I myself am presently, even though I'm in the church, I am an Israelite from the seed of Abraham and the tribe of Benjamin. God has not abandoned his people, the ones he chose in advance. That's Romans 11, 1 and 2. I think Paul clearly here, if you if we follow his word and language and we understand the letter, the who he's writing to in Rome, he's telling them God hasn't abandoned his people. I'm living proof of that. I'm an Israelite and I have been saved by God's grace and I form a part of the church. And I think the call for us today is to recognize that we are called today to preach the gospel message to the world of nations and that includes Palestinians, and it includes Jews as well. All must be saved through the forgiveness that is found in Christ alone through his death and burial and resurrection. So so we, we are called, those of us who are believers today, to reach out with the gospel and not to think as these Romans would have thought or may have started to think about that God had completely abandoned his people, we are called to still reach out with them with the gospel. And I think that is true of every generation that that has transpired from those early days to the present day. Paul didn't exchange his nationality when he became a Christian, and neither does any Jew or Gentile for that matter that comes to Christ in the present. Point number five. From the illustration of the two olive trees in chapter 11, and you should go back and read through chapter 11, uh, it is equally clear that there is only one family of faith with its roots in Abraham as father. Now, now we have a Bible study blog at uh, my local church, and brothers and sisters throughout the week, they post comments, questions, etc., 
and uh, a sister in our church um, last week on on this section, uh, she highlighted that she thought the root of this this cultivated olive tree that is described, this illustration Paul gives, is rooted in Christ himself. I will never go against an answer like that because ultimately Christ is center and rooted in all of our uh, thinking and teaching. He is the the very fabric of the word of God. And I think of his own words when he said to his accusers, before Abraham was, I am. So from that sense, Jesus is the alpha of all that is good. And definitely we have the root of that here. But the roots that, that are also described likely relate to Abraham as father of faith and the rest of the patriarchs. And the family of faith here from this illustration that Paul gives, and remember, he's using 9, 10, and 11, I think, to establish to Gentile believers that the Jewish people, this is their history. God has not abandoned them, and you shouldn't abandon them either. You should reach out with the gospel. I think that is the the tie-in, the gospel that goes out to all nations. The word Gentile actually means all the nations. Israel's included in that. Often we don't use that description. If I was to say Canada and the world, then I'm, I'm, I'm comparing Canada with the rest of the countries. But if I just said the world of nations, it would include Canada as well. You have the same idea when you get Jew and Gentile or you get Israelites and Gentiles. The word Gentile can mean everything but or it can include all of them. And we today were called to reach out with the gospel to all. So the family of faith includes Israelites and Gentiles by this illustration. But what is also equally clear is that there will be Israelites and Gentiles that are not counted in the number as well. So there will be Israelites and Gentiles that will not be part of the family, this one family of faith. And that is clearly illustrated in Paul's example of these two olive trees in Romans chapter 11. My last uh, observation, as Paul has already highlighted in Romans, there is no partiality with God. Israelites and Gentiles are both called by God's grace through the Messiah. You trace its history. Follow through Romans 9, 10, and 11. Or go look through the book of Hebrews. Uh, Study the, the Hebrew scriptures. Study the New Testament. And you will clearly find as he articulates in the Roman epistle, if you follow Romans 1 to 8, that the just shall live by faith, that all individuals that come to be a part of God's one family are all there as a result of God's grace through faith in the Messiah, whether it was the promised Messiah or now the Messiah that has been realized and has made a way and has dealt with sin and death and and judgment. So, So that is always a connection that we must never forget and that God shows no partiality. And as a result of that as believers, we are called as well to show no partiality one with another. So in conclusion, Israel and the church have two separate vocations, but both are linked by their association with the Messiah and Lord. So there is glue there that that connects the two, even though they're separate. We must also affirm that there is only one true family of faith. Paul clearly articulates that in Romans chapter 11. There's lots of moving parts in this question, lots of interesting discussions to be had, but let's never forget that Paul's driving message to the church is always to unite the people of God, whether they be Israelites or Gentiles, slaves or free, male nor female, all have been called to be a new creation through the death, 
burial, and resurrection of Jesus the Lord. So, on difficult subjects such as this, may we never lose the love and respect we should have for each other as brothers and sisters in the Messiah. After all, as Jesus said in John 13 and 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That means every true believer. So let's show that love as we wrestle through important but not critical issues of the faith. May God bless you. Thank you.